Amen. God is good and greatly to be praised. Amen. Let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 as we continue to uh, minister on the craft. Um, very interesting conversation I had with my youngest son last night as he came home from work. And, um, of course, he just graduated high school and is now starting Bible school. And, and he said, Dad, do you know what's going on out there? And I said, well, I kind of got an idea of what's going on out there. He said, it is going crazy out there. And that's pretty, pretty interesting that an 18-year-old would see something like that. Come on now. Um, you know, he began to see the, just the absolute lunacy that is going on, and it seems like it's escalating uh, by the day. But, uh, you know, I didn't know it by the news. I didn't know it by my social media posts. I knew it by this book right here that's been around for thousands of years because this book right here gives us all we need to know about what's going on in the world today. Amen? Amen. And, uh, and so I'm going to read from this, and so we're going to talk about something that's vital and important to our lives I ministered on this um, the, the week before Arise, and uh, of course, the Lord always leads me to review, because review is important, because there is satanic opposition to the Word of God being received, amen? He wants to drive it far from you. Now, you can memorize any pop song in the world, any country song in the world, you can know the lyrics like that. But when it comes to the truth of the Word of God, it has to be held on to, it has to be contended for, because it's going to be opposed. He does not want you, because Jesus said this. He said, if you continue in my Word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will what? <clears throat> Set you free, make you free. He doesn't want you to have freedom. He wants you to stay in his definition of freedom. Amen? And uh, so we're going to be talking about that. But let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 in uh, verse number 1. It says, But understand this, that in the last days... Everybody say last days. Do we believe we're in the last days? I believe we're in the last of the last days. Amen? How about you? There will be times of difficulty, or as the Greek says, days that are hard to bear. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. Notice love is going to be a key phrase in the end times. Amen? Love is love, but it's really love of self, and it's really love of money. Proud. You're going to see a version of pride in many of these characterizations of the end times. Proud, arrogant, abusive. Disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasably, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure, again that word love, rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Now drop down to verse number 7. It says, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Jans and Jambres 
opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Now, you know, if you're just a, a, a studier of the Bible and that's all that you would read, you wouldn't know who Jans and Jambres were. Now, it gives you an idea of what they were. They were the magicians that opposed Moses. So he's using this in the context of the end times. So we can characterize the end times as this, as a battle for the supernatural, a battle of the supernatural. So we have the supernatural power of God, and we have the supernatural power of the dark uh, forces and the dark side, so to speak, if we want to go to the Star Wars dark side. Okay, so we got the light side, and then we got the dark side. And so we have a contention that is coming upon planet Earth, not of atheism and agnosticism against Christianity, although those forces are still alive and well, but majority of the end times will be characterized by a battle of supernatural forces. So we're going to see you know, that there's going to be the kingdom of light, which brings forth the gifts of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit. But then we're also going to see the world of witchcraft. Now, we need to understand that we need to get our ideas out of the archaic when it comes to witchcraft. We need to stop, you know, relegating it to, you know, the past and to uh, ages that were where we perceive or our education has taught us that people were uneducated and did not know any better and lived in realms of superstition. Now, I still believe superstition is a part of life here, but witchcraft is very real. Witchcraft is the nature and, re and religion of fallen man. Fallen man has to resort to witchcraft because he is cut off from the source of life. When Adam was cut off from the source of life, his relationship with Jesus, his relationship with the Father, he was left to himself. Now he had to be self-sufficient. He had to be, you know, self-sustaining and self-protective. So he, he, he was totally <clears throat> naked, as the Bible says. He was Naked. What does that mean? Does that mean nudity? Not at all. They were nude the entire time. But understand this, that nakedness means having no shelter, having no covering. Because mankind lost their covering when they disobeyed God and pushed him out of their lives. And that's what it was. It was a willful pushing out of their life. We don't want your way. We want this nakash, this serpent's way. What he preached sounds a whole lot better than what you've been saying. We're going with him. And so they allied themselves with the wicked one and became one with the wicked one. Amen? And so we begin to see that witchcraft is any means that we receive instruction power, direction, or unction from other sources other than the kingdom of God. When we seek for sources outside of God, we are operating under witchcraft. And witchcraft is something we're swimming in. We live in a witchcraft nation. 
We live in a witchcraft world. And now we're beginning to see the fruit of that. It's always been under the surface, always been there. If you've been in the ministry for any time, you know you've dealt with witchcraft. You, you, can, you, you perceive it, but it's not in the forefront as it is right now. Now we're seeing it in our timelines. We're seeing it in our news. We're seeing it in various areas of our life. It is not no longer under the surface. It is very obtuse and out there and very in plain sight. Okay? And that's what my son was reacting to. He's saying, what in the world is going on? Because we live in a witchcraft world. People are being manipulated at a high level at this time. Your uh, media services, which are basically uh, the Baal and Ashtoreth cults that were in you know, uh, Jezebel's day, they're bringing forth and spilling forth words that are creating emotional reactions that are changing the minds and the wills of people to go out and to do stupid things. Amen? And it's all a plan. It's all a plan of the enemy. So we've got to be able to stand. And I'm not telling you this stuff to scare you. I'm not trying to scare you to try to manipulate you to do anything. What I'm trying to do is something that the Lord has asked me to do, is to equip you so that you can stand strong in the midst of this witchcraft attack that is upon our nation and upon the world. And so we've got to be able to stand strong because greater is he who is in us than he that's in the world. We don't have to fear this stuff. We don't have to fear it, but we need to be in no. We need to be in the know because the Bible says, "My people are destroyed for what? A lack of prayer? No. A lack of Bible studies? A lack of church services? No. A lack of knowledge." And then he goes on and he says, "And you have rejected knowledge." So, part of the church's problem is not just the ignorance that is in the church today about what we're facing but the rebellion against the truth. We don't want to believe it. There's a lot of people that believe God and love Jesus and are going to go to heaven when they die that are absolutely shocked at what's going on in our nation, like it wasn't there, like it never existed, or that it's just simply showing up. No, it's always been there, and I will tell you and show you today that Witchcraft is the primary religion of the United States of America. <clears throat> so we're going to look at that, all right? Now, we see that end times. Jans and Jambres represent the occult in the midst of the end times. Well, in the Old Testament, in Malachi chapter 4, let's turn there. Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, right before Matthew, Malachi chapter 4 we see this prophecy. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Okay? So what does this mean? You know, you've got to be able to meditate on this and pray about this and understand. We know that John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. Jesus even said that John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. Now, what did both Elijah and John the Baptist do? They stood against political and religious corruption in their days. They stood against a, an occult atmosphere 
that was permeating the rulerships of the world that they lived in. So we see that um, Elijah confronted Ahab and Jezebel, and of course we have the, uh, the Mount Carmel experience to draw from in which he had a showdown between the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah. So then we begin to go to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was beheaded because of the witchcraft of Herodias, who had his head taken off of his body because he would speak the truth to the king. And she didn't like it. She didn't like it at all. She was brought under conviction by the word of the Lord. And she knew that Herod was very, very susceptible to the influence of John the Baptist. Isn't it amazing that both Ahab and Herod entertained Elijah and John the Baptist and even liked them, even so much so that Herod didn't want to kill John the Baptist, okay? They understood and they knew something. I mean, it's indicative of the church today to know the truth but yet reject it. To be so immersed in this witchcraft nation that we no longer value what God values. But we'll give a, a, a wink or a nod to them, but yet really fully not be obedient to their word. That's the state of the church today. But Herodias had him killed. And you know what that Herodias means? Uh, to monitor, to monitor. Isn't that amazing? She was a monitoring spirit that kept her eye on Herod because she didn't want um, the, the plans of the kingdom of darkness to be thwarted. I'm telling you, this is deep stuff, friends. This is deep stuff. And it's alive and well in our nation today. Amen? Now, if you're shocked by this, well, you should be. But it's just time to wake up. It's time to stop being shocked about it and time to just say, you put your armor on <clears throat> and get with it and get on your knees and start doing what the Lord wants you to do. Let's be the church that we're supposed to be. Let's be the hardcore Jesus that we're supposed to be. And praise God, we'll see lives and souls delivered. You know, 2020 was supposed to be... <clears throat> You know, when we first started out, all the people were saying it was going to be a, a, a time of perfect vision. Perfect vision isn't 2020, but, but they said, you know, perfect vision 2020. Well, it was about vision, but it was about a different kind of vision. It was about revealing and unveiling. It was about showing you the serpent's nest that was there all along. It actually revealed not necessarily what God was going to do and trying to do because that comes through his gospel. It was about revealing the undercurrent and the plannings and pinnings of Satan. Amen? And that's what we've seen in our nation. Is that not true? We've seen it over and over and over again. And this stuff has been going on for quite some time. I know that we have been dealing with it since about 2015, since about the, the, you know, the election of 2016. On up to this time, it seems like it has just been amplified and uh, been adrenalized, and uh, the momentum is just continuing to go, and it's not going to go back to normal. It's one thing we got to understand. It's not going to go back to normal, guys. You are experiencing what the Bible calls the end times. Jesus is coming back. Oh, my goodness. That's, one, that, that's what we need to emphasize. 
is Jesus is coming back. Not how dark it's going to get. But praise God, Jesus is coming back. Amen? Everything you've prayed for, read about, every church service you've attended and experienced the invisible power of God you're going to see in the visible. Jesus is coming back. And that's what secures us. That's what keeps us stable is that Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back sooner than you would care to realize. Amen? So we're going to see that in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see a, a clash of cultures. We see a satanic culture, and we see a Christ culture. We see the spirit of Antichrist. We see the spirit of Christ, and we see them converging against one another. And that is what the picture gives us here, is it's not the Christian against the agnostic and the atheist. It's the Christian against the occultist and the spiritist. Okay? So that's why you're seeing freaky stuff on Netflix and freaky stuff on Hulu and freaky stuff on your TV and why it's so blatantly out there. Because once you see something, you can't unsee it. You can't unsee it. I was watching, I hadn't watched a movie in a long time, and I was, you know, needing some downtime, and so I, I began uh, to watch Black Widow. I mean, you know, Black Widow, like the Marvel Black Widow. But, you know, as I'm watching this, I'm, basically, Black Widow is, is a product of child sex trafficking. And that's the whole purpose of the of the whole thing. That's what it starts out showing you, is that children are being abducted. I think the numbers back in the 80s was 2,500 a year. But yet the FBI and the CIA do no investigation on it. Is that not curious to you as to why that happens? Okay, well... What did uh, the prophets of Baal want? They wanted children. What do the modern prophets of Baal want? They want children. They know because of your education in Western ideas that you wouldn't uh, accept burning your child in the fires of Molech. but then they disguise it as abortion and a woman's right to choose and you got the same sacrifice going on. The blood of the innocents being spilled is an abomination to God. The enemy wants to create the iniquity force to reveal the man of sin and that's the whole purpose of witchcraft. Okay, that's the whole purpose of witchcraft is to create this uh, iniquity force because that's what will reveal the man of sin that will give him access into the world okay so let's see where this started witchcraft started it started at the beginning it started in the third chapter of the book of Genesis and um, we see that we're introduced to a character that is very Integral to our understanding of what's going on. It's called the Nakash or the serpent, okay? And it says the serpent was more crafty. Everybody say crafty. Now, now, this is where the craft comes from. 
It comes from the crafty serpent, the crafty serpent, the shrewd serpent, the manipulative serpent, the deceiving serpent, okay, the subtle serpent. You see, these are all characteristics of witchcraft to understand to manipulate people through deception of some means. This beast or this, this um, uh, Nakash was more crafty than any other beast of the field. In fact, when we get the term mark of the beast, we're getting really mark of the Nakash, mark of the serpent, okay? It's really not a beast. It's, it's, it's a beast of the field symbolized the Nakash, the beast, the kingdoms of the beast, the mark of the beast, the system of the beast. It's all, you could just say this, the system of the serpent, the mark of the serpent, okay? So it's the Nakash, it's, it's, it's a symbol of Satan. Now, I want to drop down because I covered this when we were together last, so I don't want to uh, recover it. So <clears throat> we see that he is subtle, he is crafty, and we see this exchange between him and Adam and Eve. And this exchange leads to them disobeying God, partaking of the forbidden fruit, which was knowledge. They began to uh, take this knowledge and began to say, this is the way we're going to live our lives. We've made a decision. We reject the Father and we embrace the serpent, okay? And so they became one with the serpent. Remember, Jesus said to the Pharisees, the strictest religious sect in Israel, he said, you are of your father, the devil. So he's basically saying that regardless of whether you gave sacrifices, read the Torah, and went to synagogue every week, you still had the nature of the serpent on the inside of you. Jesus said that just as Moses raised the serpent in the wilderness, why is a serpent being raised? It's a type of Jesus becoming our sin. Jesus became the serpent. Oh, you've got to get a hold of that. Jesus became the serpent. And by doing so, he took our sin and he broke the power of witchcraft over your life. Amen? Because it's a symbol of witchcraft. In fact, the, the, the serpent on the pole is used in the occult as well. But understand that, that Jesus became sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It is a divine transfer of his righteousness to us as a gift. As a gift, which destroys witchcraft. It absolutely obliterates witchcraft because witchcraft is about works. And in fact, when we get into legalism in the church, we are talking about a form of witchcraft. Trying to appease God and do things to get God to accept us or act on our behalf. To try to curry his favor through all kinds of sacrifice and ritual. Whether it's our proclamations, whether it's our, our, our confession, whether it's our actions or our giving. We think we're going to get leverage with Almighty God by our acts. That is witchcraft. That is not true biblical faith. Faith is based on grace. It means I don't give to get. I give because it's already been given. It's a very big difference. But if you know of anybody that has operated in witchcraft power or operated in the occult, you know that they have to incessantly give 
offerings and keep up the facade and go through the motions continuously because there's a never-ending cauldron. It's a never-ending altar. But Jesus, once and for all, was our sacrifice. He became the serpent. He became the serpent. He became you, and he became me, and he became the serpent. And praise God, when that serpent was destroyed and cast into hell, praise God, Jesus was declared righteous in the midst of hell and raised from the dead to become a new creation, to bring about the new creation life that causes us to live in dependency on God, filled with his power, with his word and with his spirit so that we could be a dependent creation dependent on God instead of an independent, prideful, and arrogant witchcraft creation that Satan sought to make humanity. You see, you're nothing but Plato to Satan. You're absolutely nothing but Plato. Humanity is just a media that he uses to bring about his will into the earth. That's what he does. He manipulates us and molds us, forms us into his image, <clears throat> and causes us to think his thoughts and act out his ways. God comes in with his Torah. And man is so removed from the presence of God that when the Torah comes down, man doesn't know how to deal with it. Man doesn't have any idea because as God said, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts above yours. And so the, the, the great chasm was exposed because man thought he was okay. Man thought that the system that he was in for thousands of years was fine. But the, the Torah comes in, the teaching. We need, to, we need to realize that. It's the teaching. God says, listen, if we're going to be in covenant together, this is who I am. And this is who you need to be and to operate in communion with me. And he brought about a sacrificial system that began to point to them that they were no longer independent, that they no longer could just depend upon their own cunning and their own craftiness. They would have to come by faith with humility to a loving God that wanted to bring them back into relationship with him. And they preached Jesus. Every sacrifice preached Jesus. And the tabernacle preached Jesus. And it pointed towards him. The sacrifices were accepted, not just simply because they were the sacrifice that was appointed, but they put faith in those sacrifices that Jesus was going to be the answer ultimately to their sacrifice. And so man was brought back slowly, progressively, into this mindset of grace. Because you didn't operate in grace. You operated in the law of sin and death. And so progressively, and we haven't arrived, guys. We haven't arrived. You know, we still, what's the main thing we wrestle with? Grace. We wrestle with the grace of God. Because we constantly feel that we have to do something in order to get God to do something for us. And it's witchcraft, guys. It's witchcraft. Now, no, no, drop down to verse number seven. It says, uh, after they partook of the fruit, it says, then the eyes of both of them were opened. 
and they knew that they were naked. Everybody say naked. naked. Now, what was the word? Uh, crafty. Crafty, up in the first verse. The word crafty is the Hebrew word arum, and it means cunning. It means crafty. It means shrewd. Um, it means uh, subtle. It's the nature of the devil, the witchcraft nature of the devil. But notice when they said this, their eyes were opened, and they both found out that they were a room, the same word. This wasn't about nudity. This was about a change of nature. Now, in October of 1989, after I heard R.W. Shambach, I couldn't answer the altar call because I had to pick up my wife. She was getting off work late at night, and I had to be in Broken Arrow to pick her up. I uttered one name in that car, Jesus, and I passed from death unto life. I had received the gospel. It was flowing all through me. The power of God was all in me. And I accessed that power and, and, and directed that power into my life, as the Bible said, by believing in my heart and confessing with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. And when that happened, I, was pass, I passed from death unto life. I knew something happened to me. It was not something that someone had to tell me happened. Oh, well, you prayed a prayer. You're saved. There's a lot of people that have that but they didn't experience the new birth. <clears throat> Guys, you, I, I, I hate to tell you this, but you can pray a prayer up here and even be led in a prayer of so-called salvation and walk out as lost as you came in. It's when one believes with the heart. It's when confession is made out of the mouth from that heart that you pass from death unto life. And it is noticeable. It is something that you just know something happened to you. Does it mean that you become perfect all of a sudden? Absolutely not. I still had the same mind. I still had the same body. Wanted to do the same things. But there was just something changed in me. Life came into me. Amen? Now, now, if that happened to me and happened to many of you that are in this place and happened to many of you that are watching, don't you think that Adam knew when he passed from life to death? Absolutely he did. He absolutely knew it, and that's why he answered the way that he answered. I hid myself because I was a room. Notice that. The new nature caused fear to be the primary function of man. Fear is the primary function of witchcraft. Witchcraft is done from the foundation of fear. We're afraid of lack. We're afraid of not having protection. We're afraid of not having opportunity. We're afraid of not getting what's ours. We're not, come on. We're afraid of sickness and death. Because we're shut off from our source, what do we resort to? We resort to witchcraft. Witchcraft is a work of the flesh because it's a part of our nature. And because it's a work of the flesh, <clears throat> the Apostle Paul has to address it to Christians 
in the book of Galatians has to address it to Christians because it's a work of our flesh. So we can still be prone to witchcraft even when we are born again because it's a work of the flesh. But it's also spiritual in the sense that people not only operate in the flesh, but they have exercised themselves or have been led or learned to operate into the occultic or esoteric religions. And so they get into craft. And you can be just a participator of the craft just by your flesh through manipulation, through intimidation, and through domination. Or you can be more exercised by going into the more higher realms of that, into esoteric knowledge or occult. And occult just simply means, because we use the word occult and everybody gets the shivers, okay? Occult just means secret. That's all it means. Secret knowledge, okay? So there are people that operate in secret knowledge. They operate in secret knowledge that has been taught down from the ages and can find its genesis in the 6th chapter of Genesis and the 11th chapter of Genesis because really the Tower of Babel is the beginning of all occultism that we experience in this day. Okay? All right? I'm going to prove it to you, all right? And here's the problem. This is the reason why my son is saying, What's going on? It's Genesis 11. It's the Tower of Babel being rebuilt in our modern culture. You see, there are two bodies in the earth. Did you know that? There's in Adam and there's in Christ. Those are the only two. There's nothing in between. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. In Christ, in Him, we live and move and have our being. In Him, we are made perfect. In Him, we find our wisdom. Jesus has become unto us salvation and wisdom and sanctification. He is our everything. But in Adam, he is in Satan. Therefore, he is in witchcraft. Sorry. Just what it is. So we've got to, we've got to watch this stuff that we, we, we're, we're swimming in a witchcraft nation. So the things that you're seeing from the WikiLeaks that came out six years ago to all of the different things that we saw that were just absolutely shocking to us, they're all steeped in Witchcraft. And in fact, I will tell you this, and I will say this with great authority, and I can back it up, is that our current administration is under the spell and under the guise of witchcraft. The Bible tells us this. Why reverse... Listen, put your thinking cap on. Why reverse all of the 
impedances to abortion immediately the first day of office. Why reverse that? Why would you want to reverse that? Because you want to get the iniquity force going again. Okay? Remember we talked about Leviathan? Okay? Leviathan's sole purpose is to continue the seven things that God hates and to keep them going progressively in the world, consistently. See, the devil knows that he cannot stand toe-to-toe with Yahweh. Can't do it. He knows it. He's, he's smarter than that. And he doesn't think that he could personally defeat Yahweh one-on-one. But one thing you have to understand about the enemy is that he is a legalist. He's called the accuser of the brethren because he brings cases against you, against the courts of heaven. And he accuses you before the court of God. He's a legalist. And if he can't win in that court, he'll win in this court. Okay? So he has to convince you that you're not what the Bible says you are. He has to convince you that God did not say that. Hath God said? Oh, he didn't mean it this way. He meant it like this. Okay? Are you getting anything out of this? Is this helping you? All right, okay. So he knows I can't stand toe-to-toe with God. God, you know, it's just like you can't box with God. Your arms are too short to box with God. But what he's trying to do is he's trying to create the legal case that God is unjust and that he will act outside of his character if provoked. And if he does that, then the whole universe is up for grabs. Because God is the only sustainer of everything. In fact, uh, uh, Colossians chapter 1 says that everything is held by the power of Jesus. Everything. He holds. His integrity holds everything physical and not physical together. So if that can be compromised in some way, then guess what? He will have legal right to contest God. But how many realize that over and over in the scriptures it says our God is faithful. Our God is true. See, those aren't just, you know, statements that were, you know, just to, you know, puff him up. Those are who he is. And he is constantly on display in truth, in righteousness, in justice. Oh, come on, wake up. This, this, in faithfulness, he is everything that this world isn't. He's everything that Satan isn't. And if Satan can somehow goad him into acting irrespective of his nature, just as he got Adam to act irrespective of his nature, then he will gain this world. And that's what he's doing. And that's the reason why, guys, whenever you get hit with something, you don't blame the devil. You blame God. Most people blame God. Why is God doing this? 
What is up, Lord? Oh, he's, he's pulling one right over on you. He's getting that court and that ac accusation and that case built in you. Hallelujah. It's witchcraft, guys. It's the old sleight of hand. That same craftiness is in human beings. That's the reason why human beings will write up contracts with ways out. They will, they'll, you know, they'll get lawyers to draft things so they have loopholes to be able to get out. Why do they do that? Because they're crafty. Prenuptial agreements, crafty. Oh, come on now. God never meant for you to have a prenup. Now, am I saying that it is not smart to have one in this world? That's not what I'm saying. But God never intended for you to have to have that. But why do you have to have these things? Because people are crafty. Oh, come on now. It's the truth. You know your crafty self, crafting your craft. Come on. <clears throat> Hello. The physical arm of witchcraft is the use of manipulation, the use of intimidation, okay? Now, I'm going to read from you from an extra-biblical text called the book of First Enoch. Now, I am not, and you, you guys can, I am not putting this on the same level as the 66 books of the Bible. I'm not going to do it. However, I will tell you this. Jesus quoted from this. Amen. Peter quoted from this. And Jude quoted from this. Amen. To a second temple Jew living in the time of Jesus, this was required reading. Absolutely required. And in fact, their entire supernatural worldview was based upon not just the Torah, which is what they had, or the Septuagint, but it was also based on other documents that are not held in the same esteem as the inspired Word of God, but yet were used to give a commentary. Commentary. Just like we have commentaries today, give commentary. You know, we used to read Matthew Henry's commentary and various commentaries. Now, I'm not taking them on the same level as Scripture. They're just trying to bring understanding. But if you talk to a Jewish person that is schooled in Orthodox Judaism, they will tell you that the book of Enoch was actually because it was Noah's great-grandfather and that his writings were brought over in the ark. Okay? And so portions of this... Now, you know, we have to eat the hay and spit out the sticks. And we have to always judge everything based upon the 66 books that we know are the inspired, inerrant Word of God. Do you understand that? All right? But it gives understanding to what happened in Genesis 6 and in the time before the flood, which is very, very, you know, there's not a lot of light in regards to that time. But there are other books that the Jews had access to, and many Christians still use them today, which is the, the, you know, the book of Jubilees and the book of Asher and these things, and they're just retellings of the Genesis account. In fact, the book of Jubilees is known as the Little Genesis. 
and it gives light on some things that, you know, you can take with a grain of salt, whatever you want to do. But sometimes it gives you understanding because you begin to see. Because how many realize that the book of Genesis was written as a polemic? Does anybody know what a polemic is? It's a form of apologetics. It's basically God saying, you heard this, but this is what happened. And you heard this because you have to understand by the time Moses is talking uh, to uh, God on, on Mount Sinai, 2,500 years have passed from the time of the fall of man to this time. So getting acquainted with God, God is basically saying, you know what, this happened, but this is what really happened. And you need to realize that this is how this really happened. And this is how this came. See, it's a polemic, all right? So he's basically saying, you heard this, but this is what really happened, okay? And he's the authority, is he not? He's the authority. Because how would you know that Lot's wife was turned into a pillar of salt if God didn't tell you? Because there was no hands-on person. People will say that. Well, how did they know she turned into a pillar of salt? You know, every, everything was destroyed. And, well, God knew. God saw it happen. And that's who wrote the book of Genesis. Not Moses. God wrote the book. In fact, when it comes to the Torah, guys, when it comes to the first five books of the Bible, they are in a class that is even above other books because they're known as the dictation of God. Do you understand that? Moses dictated. Now, I believe the Apostle Paul had the same situation in the same place because he went and he hid himself away and Jesus came and taught him the gospel. So it was a direct... A direct, not just someone that was praying and seeking God and then was moved on the Spirit, but I mean direct. Jesus appears to the Apostle Paul, gives him the gospel. God appears on Mount Sinai, gives him the Ten Commandments, and not just the Ten Commandments, but the Torah. Okay, understand that, all right? So when we, and, he, and, and uh, God alludes to Genesis 6, and it's a very short passage. You want to know why? Because everybody knew the story. The problem is this. We try to read and study the Bible based on Western eyes. Are you with me? We try to perceive Western, Westernized ideas, and we're so far removed from the Eastern mindset that a lot of the stuff just goes over our head, and you know, it, it, and some of it's weird. But I have found this to be true. If it's weird, it's important. If it's weird, it's important. And there's been people to try to explain away Genesis 6, but listen to, to a Second Temple Jew. If you ask them, why is man so a room? Why is man so crafty? Why is man so evil? Why is man so reprobate? If you ask a Christian that sat in a church just like this one, they would tell you, it's the fall, it's the fall, it's the fall. But if you told a Second Temple Jew back in the time of Jesus why man is so crafty and evil and wicked, he would tell you, oh, yeah, the fall is, but there's actually three things that happened that made mankind the way that they are today. 
The garden? The pre-flood? And the tower? Those three things. And what he's addressing here in First Enoch is he's addressing the flood, the pre-flood era, and what brought the flood. How many, you know, God created the heavens and the earth and created all that was in there, and it says, and it was very good. Not just good, you know, as he did every day, he says, and it was good, and it was good. And then when he looked at it, it was very good. So how did it get from very good to only eight people? And people say, well, there was just a few people on the earth. Listen, these guys lived 900 years. They had some babies. No, most people will tell you that there was uh, quite a substantial population. Quite a substantial population. Occultist, that's the thing about the occultist, is... They're liars and cheats and things of that nature. But when it comes to understanding certain history, they're sometimes more accurate. I hate to say it, but they're sometimes more accurate than many Christians in their worldview and their history. There's majority of Christians don't even believe giants were even on the earth. They don't even have any clue, but yet they find their bones. <laughs> They find their bones all over, but they don't, they don't want to believe it. They want to believe in the Seth. Hello. See, the greatest cover-up in history is the cover-up of history. See, Satan doesn't want you to know this stuff. Doesn't want you to know anything about Genesis 6. Just keep your eyes off of that. That's for foolish people, for truthers, and for people that you know, are ridiculed on the, on the Internet. But the Bible is very clear and gives substantial proof that giants did roam the earth. They were known as the Nephilim. And the Bible talks about them. And the Bible addresses them. And in fact, the destruction of the Nephilim is what gave birth to our present-day demons. It was through the destruction of their bodies that released their spirits into the world to cause to afflict mankind. Okay? So we've got we've to realize this. Otherwise, you're, you're, you're going to be like scratching your head. You're going to be scratching your head as to what is going on. See, when you look at the Tower of Babel, you need to stop looking at it through your flannel graph Sunday school eyes. They're not just building a ladder to heaven. They're building a gateway to the gods to allow these rogue spirits access into the earth realm through a means of worship, through a stargate. All that sci-fi stuff that you think is just so crazy, listen, where'd they get these stories from? They just sit down under a tree and think about these things? No, they got them because nothing can be created that Jesus hasn't already created. I can't create irrespective of what God has already created. I can't think based on what God, I only think based on what God has already, he sets the parameters of my imagination. 
You think Stephen King got those ideas out of his own self? Do you think the Lord of the Rings came? Do you understand that stuff? I'm not saying it's truth. It's not. What I'm saying is, is the imagination comes from inspiration. Where does the inspiration come from? It comes from spirits. Oh, I ran out of time. I got a minute and 16. Let me read these, and we'll pick up next week. All right? Is that all right? Okay. <clears throat> all right. Now, these sons of God, the Benai Elohim, which is always a reference in the Old Testament to angels, comes down to Mount Hermon and makes a covenant with one another, 200 of them. And they are dispatched on a mission. What is that mission? To corrupt the human genome to where people are not human anymore and thereby cannot be redeemed by God. That's the whole purpose. Remember, Satan operates from legal grounds. If he can create a people that is no longer in the image of God, he owns them, God doesn't. And that's the reason why we're seeing a, a, an increase in transhumanism. We're seeing gene manipulation, things of that nature. That stuff's been going on for a long time. Island of Dr. Moreau, those, there's islands like that where experiments are happening, where people are being infused with animal DNA and things of that nature. Read your science books. Look this stuff up. It's true. Well, they learned it from these watcher angels. It wasn't that they just wanted to have sex with earth women. Come on now. They didn't want to just have, get, get their freak on. And that's not, that's not what... The, they came down here with a deliberate plan to corrupt the... And they, guess what? They almost did it. Did you know that the phrase in Genesis, I believe, 6, where it says, And Noah was found perfect. That word perfect doesn't mean that he didn't have flaws and didn't. The word perfect means is that his body wasn't corrupted. It's the same word used in a perfect sacrifice later on in the tabernacle. Without blemish, without spot, not any kind of defect from this horrible situation that was going on. And didn't Jesus say, As the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be? Hello. Now, Azazel. Now, if you're a student of Scripture, you know that Azazel's mentioned in the Old Testament. He's mentioned in the Torah. This is one of the watcher angels. So it proves that he exists because he's not only talked about in this extra-biblical text, but he's talked about Azazel was the name of the scapegoat. Remember the scapegoat? They bring two goats that have to be identical. They have to be twins. 
One is killed, which is of Jesus, and the other is pronounced curses on and thrown off a cliff. And that, that um, goat is to Azazel. It says that. That's to Azazel. It's almost as if Azazel is taking on the iniquity after iniquity. Well, that was part of his judgment for doing this stuff. He was put in the lower parts of the earth. This is too much. Are you okay? Can you stand a little more? Okay. I'm just showing you we live in a witchcraft nation. And, and why? Because we not only got the nature of a room, but Satan actually gave us a crash course with all of these people going to teach us how to live this way. And that's what the 200 watchers came to do. They came to show how to cooperate with our own destruction. Now, you wouldn't go to a seminar like that, would you? Come, five easy steps to destroy yourself. No, but if you think you're getting secret knowledge, if you think you're getting advantage, if you think you're going to get something that's going to put you over everybody else, then you'd show up. Even though it's at the expense of your marriage, the expense of your peace of mind, experience. We make trades like that all the time. Oh, okay. And it says, and now in, in the, the eighth chapter of the book of Enoch, which is not inspired text, I'm not, please, I'm keeping my eye on you. Okay, don't go out there. Pastor read from, you know. Just trying to bring understanding. Okay? And Azazel taught men to make swords and knives. See, mankind, that wasn't a natural proclivity of man. What did they use? Rocks. That's what Cain used on Abel. It was a rock. But now they're getting ideas. Now they're understanding that. See, you have to understand in the book of Job... When we see God creating, remember he says, Were you there, Job, when I created? And he says, When I created the world and all the sons of God, the Benai Elohim cheered me on as I began to do that. And they, they, they you got to realize that these Benai Elohim were right there when this was made, and they know all the secrets. They know the secrets. That's the reason why they know how to manipulate weather. This is usually my Wednesday night stuff, all right? They manipulate weather. They manipulate times and seasons. They can manipulate stuff like that because they have seen the back end of this. They know the backstage. Okay? So they come revealing secrets to man to get them in unison with man, to get them in rebellion with God instead of man trusting God and allowing the tree of knowledge and the, the tree of knowledge uh, the tree of life to reveal things to them. They want to bypass it and they want to get a hold of something. It's like a two-year-old running after a chainsaw. Are you with me? Okay. It says, And Azazel taught men to make swords and knives and shields and breastplates and made known to them the metals of the earth 
and the art of working them in bracelets and ornaments. Now, basically what he's saying here, and most expositors of this, uh, theologians, will tell you that Azazel is not only responsible for teaching um, martial arts or arts of war or arts of warfare, but also economy. Because he basically teaches mankind about the various elements that are in the earth, the metals that are in the earth, and to use them as a means of bartering. See, witchcraft always looks for a way to get advantage over someone else. So if I can have more rocks than you, I perceive myself better than you. It causes me to treat you differently. It causes me to think of you differently. And that is witchcraft. Amen. So whoever has the most gold is deemed the most important person in the world. And that is not the way God sees it. God paves his roads with what we think is so valuable down here. Okay? So he teaches martial arts. He teaches economic, the economic system that we're in today. Okay? And then he talks about this. And the beautifying of the eyelids and all kinds of costly stones and all coloring tinctures. So what is he doing? He's basically saying that Azazel taught women how to accentuate themselves as a means of seduction. Okay? Now, does that mean that I'm against makeup or that God's against makeup? That's not. Use your makeup, please. Okay? Some men need some makeup. All right? That's not what I'm saying. Using makeups as a means of seduction, deception, to allure and to get your way. All human beings do this. They accentuate themselves to sell themselves in order to manipulate to get something they want. See, this was taught. This wasn't something that was normal. They, they weren't running around trying to you know, to, you know, Mary Kay or whatever, okay? You need to tell uh, Linda, Mary Kay was created by a watcher. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But anyway, but it's, it's to accentuate myself in such a way that I, I influence you to, to make a decision in my favor. So if, if I took a bum on the street and he had a big old beard and there's, you know, food and everything in his beard and his hair was all messed up and his clothes were disheveled and he came in here and he said something very important, something very, in fact, the Ecclesiastes refers to this about the prophet who was poor and ragged and he would speak the truth and no one would listen to him. No one would listen to him. But you get someone that's dialed in, they got... I mean, Hollywood, and they say the same thing? You'll weigh it differently. I said you will weigh it differently. 
This is manipulation. Okay? Okay? And there arose more godlessness, and they committed fornication, because that's what seduction does. You know, preachers back in the 1950s, they preached against Elvis Presley, and they preached against the blues, and they preached against all this stuff. And you know what they said? The kids will be starting having sex. And guess what? They were right. Rock and roll. That's a slang term taken from the blues to mean getting it on in a car. But yet it's just a term that we don't even think about today. Oh, okay, all right. And they were led astray and became corrupt in all their ways. Semyaza, another major character, taught enchantments and root cuttings. I'll just stop there. He taught enchantments and root cuttings. Another one, if you read later, taught about the almanac, taught you basically how to govern the weather. Another one taught the stars. You know, you want to know the reason why the Mayans and older generations are able to have star maps that are exactly accurate when they have never been up there, never saw up there? They got them from these guys. telling you what I want you to see is that you're swimming in this stuff you're swimming in this stuff and we need to rise up and be the Jesus Jesus had no trouble walking yeah they killed him but where's he at now they may kill you but where will you be it's time for us to be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ it is a shame that a 14-year-old with a Ouija board knows more about the supernatural than the average Christian that sits in a seat every Sunday. There are some believers that don't even believe there is a devil. But I'm here to tell you, he's at work. He's moving, and he's moving against our country, and he's moving against our churches, and he's moving against your marriage, and he's moving against your stuff. And I'm telling you, you better be fortified. You better put on the whole armor of God. Because guess what? What the armor is, praise God. It's truth. Truth. Once you get a hold of this stuff, you'll never watch television the same way again. You'll never read a book the same way again. You'll never be able to listen to the news without knowing what's going on behind the scenes, what puppet master is over. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus said it has been given unto you to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. He's got some secrets for you. He's got some information for you, but you got to be humble to be able to receive it into your life. You don't have to live in bondage to this world system anymore. You don't have to play its game. You don't have to be beholden to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's the construct of this world system. 
but I'm here to tell you, greater is he. Oh, I'm here to tell you, he brought his kingdom and put it right back smack dab in the middle on the inside of you to where you don't have to look outside of what he's put within you. I'm telling you, the wisdom of God lives on the inside of you. The power of God lives on the inside of you. The kingdom of God lives on the inside of you. You don't need the information that the schools are trying to give. You don't need that stuff. All you need is to pursue the Holy One. And allow the awareness of His presence and power to be revealed in you. God's economic system resides in you. Oh, I hope you get a hold of this. Praise God. I'm running out of time. I'm going to keep you past. They're going to wonder where you're at at the steer in. People wonder why their prayers aren't being met. They wonder why their bodies aren't healed. It's because you are unknowingly participating in witchcraft. You're manipulating people, trying to dominate people, trying to, you know, twist things your way and make your way be the will of all. And that is not Jesus. That is not the fruit of the Spirit. And you wonder why you have no peace. You wonder why you have no joy. It's because you're operating in witchcraft. Don't think that you're going to be able to stand against the demons of our day with a little Christian WWJD bracelet. Still doing yoga. Having crystals in your home. Burning candles to your favorite saint. Consuming all kinds of of satanic spiritual diet. And you think you're going to walk into power. It ain't going to happen. God will not share his glory with another. He won't. He wants to do a whole lot through you. Oh, the Lord's given me this. I've got to give it to you. got to give it to you. Hallelujah. Rachel. How many remember Rachel in the Bible? When Israel left, you know, when when Jacob left Laban, his scheming uncle. She left with the idols of the family. How many remember that? The idols with the family. Now, she packed them uh, in her saddle. You know, I don't know if they were, you know, had donkey or had a horse or, or had a uh, camel, but she, she packed it underneath her. 
And remember, Laban chases him down. This guy is so steeped in witchcraft, he chases him down to get his idols back. Not to get his daughter back. To get his idols back. Notice this, guys. She has them. She's sitting on them. There, this is symbols that you've got to get a hold of if you're going to understand things. They were seated in between her legs. And of course, he goes and he's searching all this and he goes to her and she doesn't even dismount. Her own father is there. She won't even dismount. That was dishonoring. That was dishonoring to not dismount. And he asked her, why aren't you, you know, down here and uh, you need to get off so I can check that. And she says, I'm on my period. Listen. That shows you that idolatry always affects the private areas of your life. It's what you do in secret that truly matters. And the enemy wants to keep you in secrecy about what he's doing in your life. What you're watching, what you're clicking through, what you're talking to, what you're fellowshipping with. You might think it's a game to go through pornography. Just a game. Makes me feel good, helps me get through the night. Well, I remember Tombstone. How many remember that great film, Tombstone? You see, Johnny Ringo gets drunk, and he starts bashing the Earps, and he starts bashing Doc Holliday. And Doc Holliday's up there, and he's getting a shave. And he's going through the cities, you know, downgrading and demeaning the herbs and talking all kinds of threats. And he's drunk. And Curly Bill Brocious is, is with him. And so Doc Holliday, he gets kind of tired of hearing this stuff. So, so he gets up real, you know, and you know how he walked in that movie, you know, just real calm, cool, and collected. And he goes, say when. And Curly Bill knows that his friend is drunk, and he says, We were just funnin'. But what did Doc Holliday say? I'm not. And that's what these secret things will do to you. They don't care. You think you're playing a game. They don't think so. They're looking for an entry point. Amen? Now, if you're having problems with that, we're going to have counselors up here. We're going to have counselors up here to pray for you and to, and to release you from that if that's the case. But I've ran out of time and I went past time. But I want you to know that I say this stuff because I love you. Amen. I know it's rough, but we live in rough times. Guys, you've got to be able to instruct your family. And they're going to think you're an oldy, Pat Boone, white shoe wearing. Come on, they're going to think you're that way. Listen, I, that's one thing I absolutely abhorred when I was a kid, even a young minister. I abhorred the talk of this type because I had my idols in my secret place. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord.